Whenever you open yourself up to love, it can be frightening because it may all fall apart. Love and fear are oftentimes connected. To hold a newborn baby, not this one, but a real one, is at once one of the most beautiful experiences, but also can be kind of terrifying. I remember um, holding our firstborn, Dominic, um, when, he was just, when he was just born, and thinking, oh my gosh, how beautiful he is. Oh, but what if I drop him? Oh, I better not drop him. I've, I've dropped things before. You know, I've tripped before. There's lots of cords everywhere. But that, that fear, that tenderness, when you find something so beautiful, and you see, and then you suddenly get in the back of your head, oh no, I never want this to leave. Can I just capture this moment? Can I capture Love and fear together. When when love takes place, that great fear can arise. For most of human history, one of the deadliest acts a person could ever do was just to be a baby. In the ancient world, 26% of all infants died within the first year. And 46% died by the end of childhood. That's a lot. To put that into context, at the, the first day of the D-Day invasion of Normandy in 1944, 156,000 soldiers landed and 4,400 were killed that day. So D-Day had a mortality rate of 2.8% and just being a baby had a mortality rate of 26%. And so with, with that and possibly high, everybody knew someone who died as a child, as an infant. That grief was all around society, around, around the world, around the world. When a woman discovered she was pregnant, she knew there were odds that it would not work out. When Mary learned of her pregnancy, she knew that the baby might die. She knew that she could die. Maternal mortality rates used to be like 2 or 3%, which is really high. And it's, it's amazing what science has done, but it's still, it's still this kind of, there's, there's a fear of what is going to happen. Stuff happens. Having a baby is not as deadly as it used to be, but it is still can be transformative. One, of the, one is not the same after it happens. When a child is born, the parents have two paths they can take. One is a path of, of selflessness, thinking I am no longer the center of my world. I must care for this other living person. This, this bundle of need that needs me, that I can't drop, that I have to be responsible for, that I have to wake up for at all hours, <laughs> that I need to think that maybe this person matters a little bit more than my comfort right now. The other path is the path of, of narcissism, of thinking, oh, look, this child is going to make me look good on Instagram. <laughs> Or in the same vein of narcissism, the kind of resentment that sometimes builds up. This child took away my freedom. I used to be able to travel and go out, and now I'm at home every night. (laughs) Having children is not a universal human experience. A lot of people don't have kids. Many people try and cannot conceive, yet almost every life change, we have these diverging options of greater selfishness or selflessness. We can turn more into ourselves. Or we can offer ourselves more for others. Out of love, we turn towards others. Out of fear, we retreat to ourselves. But the heart of Christmas is not babies 
or that babies are special, but that this world is worth saving and fragile people are worth loving. Love is worth taking place even if it may not last. There are many people whose lives today are just as fragile as a child used to be. There are many children today whose lives are just as fragile. Their lives are full of pain and suffering and they matter and deserve more. There are many people this night alone and hurting without family or friends who are matter. They matter and are worthy of time and love. But I want to I get back to these guys over here. This is the shepherd. See the sheep? That's how you know it's a shepherd. The nativities, it's the key. It's like, does it have a sheep or a camel? That's how you can tell. But the sheep, the shepherd. So the shepherds in, in Luke's gospel, the shepherds are doing, I'm assuming, shepherdy things. They're, they're, I, hopefully they're not just carrying sheep around on their shoulders. That'd be an exhausting evening. Um, but they're out at night. And so they're out on their fields at night. And um, you know, to be out at night in the fields probably meant something was going on if they needed to have multiple shepherds. And so there might have been like a shepherd wrestler going around. Or sheep wrestler, not shepherd. They're not wrestling shepherds. Um, a sheep wrestler. That'd be a weird thief. <laughs> a sheep wrestler is out. So they're out on their guard and they're keeping watch. And then, boom, an angel appears. And throughout, throughout the Old Testament, this is a nice angel. Uh, look at this lovely angel with gold wings. Now, wouldn't that be nice to have a vision of God like that? That's never how the Old Testament portrays angels. Angels usually have like four faces and like 16 wings and sometimes like 32 mouths. And so it's not, it's not this kind of cherub that you see. It's a frightening thing. And they were, when, it, when Luke says they were terrified, it's like, you should be terrified. It's like, ah, it's an angel. And it's like, what have I done? What is going on? It's like, don't steal my sheep. But, but they, they, they hear this glorious message of the shepherd. And then the heavens explode. And there's a multitude of a chorus. And they have this glorious vision. They have this glorious vision of God's presence, the, the ultimate vision that anyone could possess. And they hear this message to go down to this animal stable. And there's a sign for you. There will be a baby swaddled lying in a feed trough. That's the literal translation. Um, <laughs> A manger, a manger, it's like on French, manger is to eat. It's where you eat, it's where the animals eat. And so it's a pretty, pretty good test. If you ever find a baby swaddled in a food trough, something weird is going on. <laughs> it's also one of those things, it's like, oh, you got the message too, ahead of time. But, but they go, and they, so when they receive this vision, though, the, the angel says, okay, behold, I have good news for you. You must go from this place. But they have an option there. They could, they could decide, no, we want to chill with you, angels. This is pretty cool. This is pretty beautiful. This is the most amazing sight anyone could ever see. And we're seeing it right now. We want to stay here. But that's not what they do. Instead, they listen to the words of, of the angels and they go. And it means their lives change. It means they leave their fields. They probably couldn't take all their sheep down with them. They decide this is something that's more important. It means going through the light from the light of heaven 
to the darkness of a Bethlehem feed trough. As someone once wrote, So the shepherds set off, heaven behind them, and the earthly sign before them. But Lord, what a sign! It wasn't a child radiating a light of glory as the religious painters or nativity sculptors often see. Look at that, that child, just radiating glory. <laughs> That's not the sign that they received. You see, for one instance, this child is not swaddled. You see those arms moving around? That is a really bad swaddling job. <laughs> I imagine Mary was pretty good with a swaddle, so she had it nice and tight. They go, and they look, and they see a child who's as inglorious as possible. Again, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddled clothes, so they can't move. It lies there, imprisoned, as it were, in the clothes which it has been wrapped through the solicitude of others. There is nothing elevating the manger in which it lies, nothing corresponding to the heavenly glory in which they just were a part of. There's practically nothing even half worth seeing. So they go from this glorious manifestation of God's presence to the stable with some hay and some dirt and some smelly animals and a feed trough with a swaddled baby. The destination of the shepherd's nightly journey is the most ordinary scene. We are moving from, from glory to ordinary, and the ordinary in this world is often dark and hurting. We can't decide on a life that avoids the dark and hurting, that says, like, I don't want to think about that. I'm not going to look in that. I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm not going to go in that direction. Or we can follow the example of the shepherds and stand in solidarity with those who are hurting and walk down the mountain into the darkness. In order that he should find God, the Christian is placed on the streets of the world, sent to the manacled and poor brethren, to all who suffer hunger and thirst, to all who are naked, sick, and in prison. This is the great joy that is proclaimed of the Christian this day. For it is the same way that God sent a Savior to us, hungry and need. We ourselves may be poor and in bondage too, in need of liberation, and yet at the same time, all of us who have been given a share in the joy of deliverance are sent to be companions of those who are poor and in bondage. But who will step out along this road that leads from God's glory to the figure of a poor child lying in the manger? It won't be the person who is taking a walk for his own pleasure. He will walk along other paths that are more likely to run in the opposite direction. Paths that lead from the misery of his own existence towards some imaginary or dreamed up heaven. Whether of a brief pleasure or a long oblivion. But along the way from heavenly glory to the darkness of the stable. You will learn to lose your life in order to find it. You will learn to grow beyond yourself and your insincerity into a truth that is greater than you are. From a worldly point of view, everything may seem very dark. Your dedication may seem unproductive and a failure. But do not be afraid. You are on God's path. 
Love and fear to change your life is a scary thing, whether it is having a child, going to college, moving to a new town, losing your job, changing your job, meeting someone new. To change is a scary thing. The angels, though, say to the shepherds, do not be afraid. When life is going to change, fear is the first reaction we have. Oh, no. But this day, God offers you a new kind of life. A life that sees light in dark places. A life that does not submit to the darkness. A life that does not walk for its own pleasure and in that way is truly free. A life that is not trapped in this eternal cycle of self-satisfaction, but is free to see beyond yourself. Be not afraid. Love is here this day. You will not drop it. Don't worry. You're not going to break it. It's not going to leave you. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are from, what you have done up until this point. Go to Bethlehem. See the child. God has come this day. Do not be afraid of loving, of leaving the fields, of changing your life. There is a child who is not your own in a strange town, in a strange room, surrounded by animals. But that is the Son of God. That child born in darkness is God coming to us. God is here for us. God is here for the weak, for those who feel in darkness, for those who feel set aside and forgotten. God is here. God sends us to be light for others. A few moments after we break the bread of Christ's body, after we share at the table of the Lord, we're going to light the candles that you were given. Let us also light the candles of our heart. And may they not be put out tonight. May we remember that we don't need to live just for ourselves, that there is more in this world, and God offers us the way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.